0: Today's first scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and can be found on page 1197 of the Pew Bibles. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the Righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing." This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 9 through 22, and can be found on page 1197 of the Pew Bibles. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Domitia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. jubilus greets you. And so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, welcome to each one of you who are here with us today for this first Sunday of Advent. We appreciate the effort that you've made to be here in uh, this place that we can worship God together. And also for those of you joining us on Zoom or for different reasons, travel or whatever, cannot be with us, we appreciate that as much very, as much or very well as... Let me try that the third time. We appreciate very much that you've taken the effort to join us and um, appreciate your effort to come and join us in person whenever you are able to do so. Um, Particularly during this Christmas season, I would just encourage you that there are a number of of wonderful opportunities to come and fellowship over this Christmas time together. Today is um, a special day, in the sense, is my wife is back here. This beautiful woman, if you don't recognize her, Uh, She's just worked through six weeks of shingles and is back with us. So I'm deeply appreciative of all of those of you who prayed for us. We appreciate that deeply. But as we start this morning, um, I would like to just pray with us. Father, we thank you that as we come into this morning, rapidly moving to afternoon, we are very much aware that we need you. We live in a time and space which is uniquely ours. And yet at the same time, we so need you. And I ask this morning that you come in that way that only you can do. Speak to our minds and speak to our hearts. Speak to the very depth of our soul. For Lord, we come to church to worship by singing and by having communion together and by praying and all of these wonderful things that you've given us through which we can adore you and worship you and give you part of the praise that you deserve. But ultimately, Lord, if we're very honest, we come because we want to experience you. And we ask you now in Jesus' name to be here with us in a very tangible way in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to finish this sermon series from the book of 2 Timothy. This is the fourth sermon. If you've not been able to listen to the others, they are on the church website, and I'd encourage you to look there. This letter, of course, is a very important letter in the New Testament because as far as we understand, it is Paul's last writing. And in that sense, it's quite different from the other writings, which seem to be a kind of a logical, almost as a lawyer laying out an argument and showing us how to move and how God has dealt with sin through the sacrifice and the sending of his son, Jesus, and how by faith and through by grace, through faith as we accept, as we trust and realize that that death was specifically for us where he, Jesus, took our place and God the Father placed upon him all of our guilt on the cross that you and I could be forgiven and declared justified or no longer guilty. And then as God's spirit enters our soul and we hear or sense him crying out, Abba, Father, And our heart, our spirit, the depth of us respond to him, Abba, Father. And he has transferred us into his kingdom. And so he talks and he writes about these very important things. And he, at the last words, he, in chapter one, we talked about living in the will of God. And how Timothy, he desires for him to know, experience the will of God. And tells him how he is confident that he's able to do so. And then in chapter 2, it's about making disciples or being living as a disciple. And he tells him, this is what you should do. And here is how it will progress in your own life. And then chapter 3, it's talking about living in a present day world. Which here he declares as the end days. How we then therefore live. Now in chapter four. You see, chapter three, by the time you got to that, it's almost as if Paul's in the middle of the message says, now, Timothy, if you've not gotten anything else I've said, listen to chapter three, because this is where you're living, this is where you're what you're doing, and this is the ministry you have in this day and age. So what do we do with chapter four, if that's the main point? Chapter three, I mean. Well, chapter four is like it's like being an older father or grandfather. You know, and the kids come to visit and you, get, and you get to the point where you say, and by the way, there's just one more thing. Or I don't do it here in Switzerland so well. I do remember having, when we lived in Austria, having particularly a German friend. And maybe it was only from their part of Germany. But he would call and talk with me on the telephone. And we might talk for five minutes. Five minutes. We might talk for 20 minutes. But at the end of the conversation, just as he was just about ready to say, just because was, ah, es noch nur kleine Sache. There's just one more thing. And of course, that was the main reason that he had called. And that part of the phone call might go on for an extended time. I think that is an introduction to chapter 4. Ah, just one more thing. And here, as it's written here, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. And then he says, I charge you this concept of, I charge you. Some of the translations have put that charge to the very beginning of this verse one because it seems to be so filled with with strength and this idea and this desire desire from Paul that it's always then followed there as an imperative. And you're going to find in verse two is that therefore you he gives a direct order instruction or instruction on the level of an order to Timothy. Because you are standing, or you are in the very presence of God. Could I ask you this morning a very common and maybe simple question? Would you have lived life from the time you got up this morning until this very moment? If you had this awesome sense that you were in the very presence of the God who's going to judge the living and the dead. You know, the urgency of what he's going to say to him, it seems to me it's almost as if Paul has taken, and in the middle is a a picture of words in which he is going to describe to Timothy that which he wants Timothy to know is the very important last word. And it's like he's put a framework around it, And this framework has three different levels of frame. The first one being this very thing. You are now in the presence of God. The one who will judge all the living. Judge all those who have died. Everyone will resurrect and stand before him. So he's stressing the authority in the person of God. And then he goes on beside that and he says, And his appearing. And the commentators will say of course, his first coming, which we are celebrating as, ad, as we approach this and are involved in this Advent season, that which we celebrate as Christmas. But then there's also his second coming. And that, of course, would associate more with that moment when God is going to judge all of the living and the dead. This idea, and he, he almost graphically in our minds, paints that picture so he sees the judge. Of the living and the dead. Then the judge who is not only the living and the dead at the end that is there as a judge. But he has come. He has come. is that amazing? He took upon himself all of our sin and guilt. And he's coming again not only as Savior but as King to reign. And then the third he says of course and the third framework is his kingdom. Which is An important thing because the reality we're either in his kingdom or we're not. But the one who's coming at the end is a king. For Paul writes this differently in the book of Colossians. Let me read to you a few verses there. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen to verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's going to judge everyone. He has come once as Savior, the second time as King. And because he is offering us opportunity to be part of his kingdom, it's an incredible authority of God. And what is he charging you? Look, he says in verse 2, to preach the word. This is an amazing. This You have to just... I'm sorry, but I'm a preacher. Can I, can I just express to you what this says in some of the... If you go and look at some of the original words there in any linear and then just click on the number and it will take you back to the concordance and the, then it will explain some of the original meanings. Listen to some of the original meanings. It says very simply this. It says to preach the word is to bring... The eternal accountability to all who hear. When he's telling him to preach, he's saying, Don't just get up and make it nice and warm and fuzzy. Ultimately, they should hear from God. And then the second one it says, even a bit more powerful it's it's a cry. Of a divine truth. In other words it's not God speaking himself. But it is the truths of God. Which are being given. And then as verse 2 goes on. He gives three words that describe that. To correct. To rebuke. And to encourage. And so after I read that. I thought wow what do those words then mean? Listen. To correct. Or some would translate it to re- Prove means to expose, to convict, which of course is the work of God's Holy Spirit, but to show to be guilty. Wow. So he's saying this should happen when you preach as God speaks, is the Spirit should come and give conviction and show if there's anything that needs to be changed. And then the second word is rebuke, and that is to means to prevent someone from going the wrong direction. Stop. So it is this idea of speaking in such a manner that God's spirit brings conviction. And then it is to say to prevent someone from going the wrong way. Or it said literally to assign a value to a situation. I would read that in modern English as saying this is. God's way. And this is not God's way. And these are the attributes or the characteristics that he describes as the way to preach. And then the third is to encourage or to exhort. And that comes from, it's a combination, two Greek words, para, meaning close beside, and kaleo, meaning to call. Get the picture. Here he I want you to preach, Timothy, like this, that when you preach, they hear God. And God's Spirit speaks. And in that, you may need to cry out, this is God's way, and this is not God's way. But then ultimately, this word, to encourage, it means to stand, to come right beside, and to call to, in other words, people should hear God saying, come, come to me. Not to the priest preacher, but come. That's what these words mean. To hear God's moving. And as I read that, I just think, oh my, what he's asking and instructing Timothy to do. You see, that should be the message. When we hear from God, when God feeds our soul, it's because God's spirit speaks to us. And we hear from God. And then we know if God says, not this way, but by way. Way, but it isn't because God is wanting just simply like sit in a chair and discipline. No, it's because God is saying, "Come, walk with me. Let us go together." And that's two verses of twenty-two. And my um, would just go on and say to you very quickly. I think those are some very important things that Paul is sharing with Timothy. Now we have an idea of what he is saying, and but then he says and says and explains in verses three and four why this is important. He says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having and listen to this one. I like this hard to believe that he uses terminology, but they have itching ears. And actually, that word is also used in verse 4, which is very good. They will either where their ears will turn away from or they will no longer listen to the truth. The word is the same in both. This is, to me, a very interesting idea. Do you know that we can have itching ear syndrome? Isn't that cool? Now, if you're as old as me, I have to, every once in a while... Hair and everything grows in very embarrassing places. It's not that. We look what he describes it as being. They will no longer endure sound teaching and they will literally turn away. If you study the words, it will mean consciously know this is true and you make a conscious decision to turn away. And then he even repeats that concept again. Verse 4, no longer listening or their ears turning away from truth and making a choice to turn to myths. And that word means very simply things that are false but present themselves as being true. Two an itching ear, no longer. I don't like that what the Bible says. I think I prefer this. The Bible has described that as itching ears. And it consciously says that we know what is true. And we choose something else. And he says, for that reason, Timothy, preach in this manner. And then he goes on in the verses 6 and onward for that next paragraph where he explains his own situation. For in verse 5, he has just said to Timothy, that is what is happening in our world, but you be different by the way you are preaching. And then he says, I am being poured out. In these few verses, we have a man who knows he's at the end of his life that God has given him on earth. He knows the end is coming. And he in these few verses begins to explain to Timothy why that is okay and why it is good. He says, I am being poured out. I really chuckled when I looked up that word because that's like a liquid offering in the Old Testament, of wine or fragrance or whatever. It would literally be poured out. The idea would be poured out of the vessel. And once you pour it out, You've given it. It cannot be taken back. And you know what word in the concordance, as you looked in the ones as they defined it, they not only used the Greek, but they went and they gave a beautiful German word because they said, the German word seems to express this more clearly. You know what that means? Spenden. Ich habe mein Leben für den Herrn gespendet. A choice to be poured out for God. Wow, Timothy. And then listen to what he says in verse 7 I have fought the fight, the good fight. I've run the race, and I've kept the faith. Remember in chapter 2 where he said, Timothy, be a soldier. Learn to say no, that you can say yes to God. And Paul had again and again learned to say no that he could say yes to God and at the end of his life he could turn to Timothy and say and I have fought the good fight no regrets and he could say to Timothy in chapter 2 be an athlete according to the rules of God run and he says oh Timothy I've run to get the prize I've run according to the rules of God no regrets And then like a farmer that works hard and harvests, he said, I kept the faith. I've taken out the weeds. I've removed the thorns. And I have harvested. And then he goes on and says says even further, And therefore is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which this judge, at the end of time, the living and the dead, he says, this Lord will give to me on that day. And then this lovely final phrase. And not just to me, Timothy, but to all of us who love his appearing and look forward to it. Isn't that an amazing truth? That the same God who led Paul and the same God to whom Paul would give these words of worship and a sense of no regret is the very same God who loves us and leads us And works his will in our lives. Now, the second half of the chapter, verses 9 through 21. Let me just say very simply in that. It seems to me that what he now moves to in his final closing. Is he's going to tell Timothy twice. Come. Come. And look what he says in the first one. Do your best to come to me soon. And then the next three verses he talks about people who have left. And he uses the phrase he uses there in chapter 3. They have loved the world more than loving God. And some have gone back. Some have gone to their homes. They've gone to different places. Then he also describes those who have stayed. Luke. But then he comes again with this concept. When he says... In verse 12, when you come. So he said to him the first time, come as soon as you can. Then he says to him why you should come. And the reason is, those who were serving, those who were doing it, now have moved. Some Paul has sent to another place to serve. Some have chosen to do something else. What the thing is, is Paul is explaining to Timothy, it's now your turn. Step up. Come. And then he goes on and says to him even further, he says, but when you come, you see, it's, it's like this in chapter one, he says, Timothy The call of God. The will of God for your life. Stir up the ashes. Get the flame of the calling and gifting of God. Burning in your life. And here he comes back to him again. And he says, Timothy, as you come. You see, why is this important for us? Because... Our being obedient and responding and going with God does not just impact our own personal lives. It impacts all of those around us. Look who Timothy and what Timothy would bring with him. He says, for when you come, bring with you Mark. That's His name is John Mark, or you can find him recorded particularly in the book of Acts. And what happened when Paul went on their original missionary journey, they sailed, went to Cyprus, and at Cyprus... Mark was with, he, with Barnabas and Paul, and there Mark went back. And so when it got time to the, have the second missionary journey or the following missionary journey, then Barnabas said, well, let's take Mark again. And Paul said, no, you remember then a very strong discussion. And then Paul told Silas, Barnabas took Mark. Look at the difference of what Paul says as he says and when you come he says bring with him with you mark he is very useful to me for the ministry in other words mark had been given a second chance and now paul realizes he needs to understand The work of God in a person's life who's been given a second chance. He's had someone come, a Barnabas, who has loved him and discipled him and helped him grow spiritually. And now it's opportunity. And Paul, putting it right at this moment, says, and bring him. Because he is very profitable to me with ministry. You see, if if Timothy didn't come, no one could bring Mark. When God asks you to obey, think of those that you will take with you. And then he goes on, secondly, and he says also bring the cloak that I left and also the books and the parchments. Those things keep himself, of course, physically warm. The books may have been writings or scrolls. Parchments may have been scriptures. We don't know exactly. They may have been his own notes. But those things that would not only keep his body, but keep his soul and feed himself spiritually. And then... Just as we move towards the end of this, of course, there's a warning. But then look what it says of what happened as one after the other left Paul. And Paul says, Timothy, now you come. And he says very simply, may all of them at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. In other words, when he went before whoever the judge or the equivalent was at that point, no one was there. And then he corrects and he says, but the Lord stood with me. See, he started saying, Timothy, do this in the presence of God. And all my life I've experienced the presence of God. I've run, I've fought, I've finished. And now, Timothy, you stand and experience the presence of God because when no one was with me, the presence of God was there. And from that very presence of God, he says, he gave me strength. Can you imagine that? The presence of God and strength pouring through. And then he, just this last little statement. And he said, and because of that, all of the Gentiles heard the gospel. In other words, I think he's saying to us, when I stood before the judge, I suddenly realized, and who would have that been? I don't know. A ruler in Rome, we don't know but the strength of God came and he preached the truth to that man as well. And he said, the Lord then will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and forever. Amen. And then the last of the last, just before the very last of the last of the last, he says this, do your best to come before winter. In other words, this coming, he puts into a time frame. You could also translate that before the stormy season. Remember how when he sailed the first, that time, how they got caught in the storm because they, sto- they tried to sail during this period saying is we need to take this there's this moment where God says come there's this moment where the opportunity comes what Paul is saying to Timothy that is within a time frame there's a moment when winter comes and you can no longer do it and so he is speaking that to them and then of course at the end he says may the Lord be with your spirit this presence of God be with us And then actually the last you there, it's wonderful, and it's you all. It's you plural. And I'd understand that means us. May we experience the grace of God, the literal presence of God working in our lives in such a way that we realize it's God. So in chapter 4, he finishes with Timothy saying simply, Experience the presence of God. And to do that. There comes a point where you need to. Come. And do that which God has created you to do. The will of God for your life. And then he says Timothy at the end. Do it before winter. You see there's coming a time. When that opportunity has passed. We do not know. Did Timothy go or not? The one thing we will know, and let me leave you with this question. Have you done that which God is asking you to do before winter? Is there anyone here, seated here among us, who you know in your own walk with God? There are those things that you have put off Or thought later. Or maybe it's not important. I think as Paul comes to the end. And saying the final to Timothy. May God be with your spirit. You have that sense of Abba Father. And that presence. And may the grace of God be with you. May you experience the reality of God. But oh Timothy. Timothy come before winter. Do it while you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and for its truth. And thank you, this letter, as Paul pours out his heart to Timothy, it also speaks deeply to our minds, our souls. And Lord, for each one of us who are seated here today, would your Holy Spirit just go through our minds, go through our hearts, And help us once again to be fresh with the understanding of your purpose and your plan for our lives. And Lord, if there are any of those things that we have put off or we've hesitated from, or like Paul writes in chapter 1, that we have allowed shame to make us step back from, may we, Lord, allow your spirit to work within us And may we do all of that. May we come to you before winter. Guide our hearts, guide our lives. We thank you for yourself in Jesus' name.